Good morning, Door Creek. Good to be together on this beautiful day. And if you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. We're really glad that you've joined us. And so we're in the middle of Rooted. And Rooted is really a lot more than a teaching series. We were trying to plumb what it means to be rooted in Christ, to be grounded in Christ for the good of the world. And it's a lot more than a two-year kind of vision set of initiatives, this kind of new chapter title in our church's history. It's actually all about what God is doing in this world, what he wants to do in us and through us as we are his people who are changing the world with his mercy, grace, and love. So we're glad that you're here. And today we wanna move from this picture that we have from Isaiah 27, six, where Rudy kind of flows out of this scripture and and start applying it. So here's the, the verse again. In the days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Now, Jacob and Israel, if you're new to the Bible, same guy, God changed his name. He is the grandson of Abraham. He becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. What God's saying is, in the days to come, my people are gonna be rooted and they're going to send out tendrils and branches with blossoms that bear fruit and they're gonna cover the whole and fill the whole world with that fruit of the grace, the mercy, the truth, the wisdom, the beauty of God as we see it so clearly and fully in Christ. And so what we wanna do today is talk about what does it mean to be rooted for good? And we're gonna turn to Ephesians chapter two to begin. So grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter two. So Ephesians is after Galatians, it's before Philippians, it's in the back of our Bibles. If you need to use the table of contents, that'll quickly get you to Ephesians. Now, we're going to focus in on verses 8 through 10, just like classic, classic verses to help us know how how are we rooted in Christ? How does one come into a relationship with God through Christ? But I want us to see the context of chapter 2 because we're going to see the marvelous transformation that can happen in a person's life as God extends his mercy and grace to us in Christ. So we begin in verse two. And in verse two, kind of we have the Bible's Anthropology 101 cliff notes. This is who we are apart from Christ and his grace in our life. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. This ruler, the spirit is speaking about God's enemy, the enemy of us, Satan himself. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, before we get into this, how we're rooted, let's just notice this. That apart from God moving towards us with his mercy and love and extending the gracious gift of his son to us, here's what we know from Ephesians 2. That spiritually, we would still be flatlined dead. He says you were walking, but you were dead. You were physically alive, but spiritually, you were not connected to God. You did not have life because life spiritually is only found in God. Without God moving towards us, we'd be spiritually flatlined. No interest in pursuing a relationship or a life with God. Without God moving towards us, we'd be stuck in this vicious cycle that the Bible just basically labels as rebellion, where we're following our own thoughts and desires and we're following the wisdom of the world and it's not satisfying us and it's actually enslaving us. And without God moving towards us, we'd be caught in that. Without God moving towards us, we wouldn't have any reason for hope. There wouldn't be any place to go for for forgiveness. We'd be trapped in the bondage of our own guilt. We'd be unable to ever hope to stand before a holy God. But, verse 4 tells us, but God. God in his great love, God who is rich in mercy, he moved towards us with his grace. And so when the Bible starts working out this question of, so how is one rooted in a relationship with God? How does one become rooted in Christ? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 gives us this simple answer that's profound and we want to mine it today. It says we're saved by God's grace through faith in God's Son. And by the way, it goes on to say, and we're not saved by anything we do, any good works of our own. We're saved by God's grace through faith in God's Son, not our own good works. So we gotta unpack words like grace. If we think about grace, we might think about, yeah, that's what we do before we eat. Now this is a little different, all right? So grace, grace is a free gift. It's not something that we earn or deserve. It's God's unmerited favor. I love how one writer put it. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. It's getting everything for nothing. There's nothing we bring. There's nothing we can do. There is no spiritual merit in our bank account because corpses don't have anything to offer. We're spiritual corpses. Everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. But when God extends his grace, it's not just a concept It's not an abstraction. It's not this great, cool idea. And you just need to kind of plumb the idea. Actually, God's grace comes in a person. And when you think about God's grace, I want you to think about God's grace is all of his goodness rolled up in one, moving towards us in his son. All of his goodness. So all the good things of God, all of his perfections, all of his beauty, all of his wisdom, all of his grace and mercy and justice and love, it all moves towards us and we perfectly understand it in Christ who is full of grace, who is full of truth, we're told in the scriptures. And so God sends us the gift of his son. And the scripture says it's all God's doing. 
but we're to, we're to place our faith in him. But did you notice when it gets to this whole matter of faith that it says even our faith is not of ourselves. Did you see that? Go back to verse eight. For it's by grace you've been saved. That's how we're rooted in this new relationship with God through Christ. It's through faith. And this, a reference back to faith and our salvation, is not from yourselves. It's not something we do. It is the gift of God. So we've got grace, this gift that is offered to us in God's son. And God says, Here, here's how you get rooted in this relationship with me, is you receive the gift. And here's how you unwrap it. You take me at my word. That's what faith is. You, we take God at his word. We believe that he's a good God, that his word is true. And then what he's saying to us in Christ is true. And so we believe the promises that are ours in Christ, that he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he actually stood as our substitute. He took on the penalty that our sins deserve so that we could have peace with God and the peace of God and a relationship with God and meaning and security and purpose in this world and in the next. We're taking God at his word, believing the promises. We're taking God's at his word. We are following what he tells us to do, obeying the commands. But it's not just this matter of, okay, so I want to believe. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going to try hard to muster up and build up this faith so that finally I can go, I believe, I believe. I think I, I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I, I believe. I got it. Actually, it's, it's this gift. Now, there's nothing wrong like the father that Jesus meant to say, Lord, I believe, but man, my faith is really, it's really weak right now. Help my unbelief. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, help me to believe. Maybe you're exploring the claims of Christ right now and you're going, I, I just don't know. You're tripping up over the exclusive claim when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through me. You're going, I don't know. Here's, here's what the scripture says about faith. Faith grows in proximity to the word of God. So as we're hearing the word of God, hearing it taught, seeing it lived out in a person's life. Actually, God uses the word to germinate faith in our lives. Here's how he puts it in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. So God offers the gift of his son. We receive it by believing that Jesus is God's son who died in my place he, was, he rose from the dead on the third day and I'm placing everything I have on Christ. But it's not by works, he says. It's not by works. That's a trip up. Because, you know, when you, when you hear someone offer you something and you, you go, that sounds too good to be what? Yeah, that's, that's like, that can't be right. There's, there's an angle. What do you mean I don't have to do anything? I've been raised all my life to say that, you know, being a good person pays off. It certainly pays off in this world most of the time, and certainly not all of the time. And, I'm, and I believe that's just how it works with God. You're telling me that good works don't matter? I'm saying this, good works matter a lot, but we better understand where they fall in the continuum. So our good works don't bring us into the relationship. 
In fact, when the Bible starts talking about our works in verses one and following in the beginning of chapter two, what it says is our works have messed it all up. Our works are not good. They're not perfect. They've broken off our relationship with God. They're wrecking relationships with each other. All that is wrong in this world goes back to people not working it out in a loving way to God and to each other. And so we can't count on our good works to bring us into a relationship with God any more than we could count on our arms and our legs to get us across the Pacific. We have them. They may be even pretty strong. You might swim laps this week, but they're not gonna traverse the Pacific. We know that. Our good works cannot traverse the chasm of what happened when we have rebelled against God and saying, God, I want to be God of my own life. I want to do things my way. Thanks, I've got it. At that point, we cut ourselves off from God, and the only way back in this relationship is through Christ. He's the one mediator between God and man. And so, Works are important, but we're going to see their place, not to get us into this relationship, but to mark our relationship because the Bible's going to make it clear. God just didn't offer the gift of his son to, to keep us from burning in hell. No, God has offered himself through his son so that, yes, we would be delivered from the position of being under God's judgment but that we would be saved to a relationship with him and for a greater purpose as we will see. So the Bible puts it this way, although you won't read it, but when you put it all together, we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but true faith is never alone. In fact, James says, faith without works, faith that's alone, it's bogus. That's not faith at all. Faith without works is dead. That's how he puts it. So when we're focusing on good works, we're obviously looking to ourselves to be our own savior. That's risky business. I mean, just think about the hard relationships that we have in life. And it doesn't, you don't have to get very old be very old to go, yeah, it's hard. Whether it's a, a good friend who used to be a good friend or a family member or a parent or a child or a sibling or a spouse or somebody at work or whatever in the neighborhood, uh, it, it's, it's hard for us to work out relationships to bring them back together. And so looking to our good works is saying, I've got this, God. Jesus, you didn't really need to die. It wasn't necessary. Without even knowing it, we make a mockery of the cross. You're saying you didn't have to do that. It wasn't that big of a deal. And that's the world we live in. Not that big of a deal. Actually, it's a really big deal that God would send his only son to rectify what our works have just blown up. And so when our focus is on good works, we're now trusting in ourselves. And when we're trusting in ourselves, we're always in an uncomfortable position. We don't have confidence because we know who we are. We know the inconsistencies. We know we're unable to save ourselves, let alone the world. Titus 3, 4, and 5 
underscores this very point. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, here it is, not because of the righteous things we had done. It's not on the basis of good works, but because of his mercy. C.S. Lewis, writing on this very thing, says this in Mere Christianity. The Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to be good. They hope by being good to please God if there is one, or if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. This is important. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Read that again. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. So remember this. You're talking to a friend. And, and maybe they've got their own version of a spirituality. Maybe they're in a major religion. Maybe they're in some kind of tangential thing. Maybe they're, you know, an atheist, what, whatever. The distinction between Christianity and all the other religions is this whole thing of grace, of God moving towards us in his son, of not having to work for God's approval, but receiving this gift where Jesus did everything that we couldn't do for us so that we could know God and experience life with God and have hope in this world and meaning in this world and significance in this world and hope for the next world. That's the, that's the huge X factor, is grace. Every other religion is working out in some kind of a works construct, which actually elevates the self. This is how we get to a better place. We're at the center of doing that. No, it's grace, the Bible says. It's grace. So here's what happens when grace is received, when we become rooted and continue to grow deeper in Christ. Things begin to change. So there's a new standing. We once were dead, now we're made alive. There's new desires. Once we were following the desires of our own heart, now we're following the desires of God. It doesn't mean we perfectly do that, but that's our heart's desire. I want to love you, Lord. I want to grow to be more like your son. I want to live like Jesus in this world. We don't always do that, and so when we don't, there's a sensitivity to that. We go, Lord, forgive me, and, and I still want to be like that. Help me. New desires. There's a new hope because there's forgiveness, there's peace with God and peace of God. There's a new identity. In chapter one, he'll talk about how we've been adopted by God out of his love. We're part of his family. We are in Christ, which Scott prayed for this morning, that we'd find our identity in Christ. This is a profound thing that, that is so much at a part of rooted that we would more and more and more and more find our identity in Christ. Not in how we did last week or today or how much money or the deal or the grades or the popularity or the look. It's in Christ so that whatever's crumbling in our world around us, whatever's broken inside of us, our identity is in Christ. And we understand the unbelievable truth of verse 10. That if we are in Christ, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, then we are new creatures, right? That's what it says. Look again at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork or workmanship or masterpiece 
created in Christ Jesus. This is new work, this new creation. And we've been created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow, this unbelievable new identity. I'd love for you to put verse 10, to put verse 10 up on a three by five card uh, on your mirror so you wake up. Because I bet you, how many of us looked at ourselves in the mirror and the first thought in our mind was masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You know, sometimes when it's really bad, we can't even look in the mirror. And we need to, we need to take God at his word. This is who we are in Christ. This is who we are becoming by his grace. We're a masterpiece. The creator of the universe has created us into something spectacular in Christ, a masterpiece. And if our identity's in Christ, can I just say hello? Well, then, you know, if you haven't been baptized yet, that's like a big miss and a great opportunity to accelerate you going deeper in Christ. Because if your identity is in Christ, if your faith is trusting in Christ alone and nothing else, nothing else, not Jesus plus, in Jesus alone, then you know what? There is something powerful about taking Jesus at his word when he says, if you want to be my disciples, then be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you do, you identify yourself with Jesus and with his church, his family, his people, and his work in the world. And in two weeks, I hope there's a hundred people in this church that go, I don't know why I waited this long. So that's going to be an easy application for Rudy. I'm getting baptized. And look, if you're afraid of the tank and you think we're going to drown you, we'll get you wet outside of the tank. <laughs> and if you've been to churches where they, they give like a four-point sermon before they get back, we don't do that. We talk to you individually. We get you all set so you understand what is happening and what isn't happening. And we'd love for dozens to be baptized in two weeks. And then we notice what happens is there's this new purpose, right? Faith alone in Christ alone, but not a faith that is alone. God's grace in us has never been meant to just become like this pond where the grace kind of goes stagnant and it kind of gets cruddy and it kind of gets smelly. No, grace is always flowing and always moving. And so the grace that comes in is to fill up in our lives each and every day. It's not like this is what we do the first day to get in the relationship. This is what we do every day. Every day we're being filled with the Spirit. We're being filled with the Word of God. We're we're allowing the Spirit of Christ to fill us so that out of the overflow of Christ, every relationship, every task, anything that we're doing, wherever we're doing it, here in Dane County or around the world, we are positioned to love God well and love others well. We weren't just saved from something, we were saved for something. A life in relationship with Christ that bears fruit. And that fruit is powerful. It spreads and it fills the world with the beauty, grace, and truth of Christ. And so we want to talk about these good works. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, Matthew 5. He says, look, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. 
You've seen it. You've, you've been in the mountains at night, and you see the city, and you go to Switzerland, you see all kinds of little villages up. They look like they're up in the clouds at night. They're up there. You can't, it can't be hidden. He said, in the same way, people don't light a lamp and bring it in a house and put a bushel basket over it. No, they bring the lantern in, and they put it up on the lampstand so it gives light to everybody in the house. So then Jesus says this in verse 16. It is beautiful. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the purpose, that as the good works go out, God is lifted up in people's lives. It's transformational in our life, in other people's lives. So they see, they experience, they receive the grace of Christ through us in such a way that their hearts are turned, not to us, but to God. And they give honor and glory to God. So what does that look like? When you chase it through the New Testament, I'm not going to bring you to a list of good works. And so just so you know, there's 29 good works that we're supposed to do. So just mimeograph it, copy it, put it on your phone, and just make sure you're checking off all 29 every day, and then you're good. It's not about a checklist. It's about a relationship with Christ that starts moving through us into the relationships of life. So it's this whole thing. Remember John 15, the vine. God's a gardener. He plants this garden, it's called the world, and the world finds life in the vine. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and when the branches are connected to the vine, it bears much fruit. So it's all about a relationship. And that relationship with Christ brings us Christ's spirit. That's how we're made alive. Chapter one, verse 13. Having heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having believed it, we were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And, this, and the Holy Spirit kind of takes the sharpie out and he says, mine, you belong to me now. You've given your life in faith to Christ. You belong to me. And that spirit, it, it, it starts bringing good things from us like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness faithfulness and self-control all of those have to be exercised in relationship like you can't go live in a cave and and live out the fruit of the spirit it works in relationship and so it's connected to the relationship we have with Christ the spirit in us flowing filling overflowing into the relationships that God gives us and so we're praying God Help me to find my fullness in you so when I do relationships, I'm not always looking for the advantage from this person. That I'm not always on the take. That I'm full in you so that I am positioned to grace people's life. So I, I don't stop the flow because I haven't really connected to you so that I need to, to get something that I should be getting from you from somebody else and, and now I'm not positioned to do what you want me to do. And these, in these good works, did you notice it? They've been prepared in advance for us to do, collectively, individually. That's wild. That is a wild thought, which means you don't live in a meaningless world where the things that you do don't matter. Your life isn't controlled by fate or fatalism. You have purpose in this world. And there are good works that God wants us to be about, you to be about.
prepared in advance for us to do. Now, in the New Testament, we don't just have the fruit of the Spirit that helps us understand what that could look like, but we have actual examples. So let me read through a couple. There's this older woman in the New Testament, Acts 9, we read about her. Her name is Tabitha. And it says she was always doing good. And she was helping the poor, the poor widows in the church, in the community, always doing good. In chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, there's a group of women, these widows who are also known for their good deeds. Here are the things that they were known for. They were known for bringing up their children to know and love God. It's a good work. They were known for showing hospitality, the love of strangers. They were known for service, for washing the feet of the Lord's people. They were known for mercy, for helping those in trouble. In 1 Timothy 6, we are told that the good deeds have everything to do with being generous and being willing to share, understanding that our hope cannot be in our riches and our wealth, but in God alone. And it's happening every day here at Door Creek. And I don't know, I don't know not the half of it. I I don't know like the 99% of it. But I think about a friend who told me the other day, oh, I, I, I go over to Dick's house and I do that regularly. Dick does life in a wheelchair and uh, I, I kind of help massage his body because he can't move his body. I thought, wow, it's so beautiful. I think of the small group leaders investing in our kids right now downstairs, the upward coaches, the life group people, support group leaders, those of you who are pouring into a child in one of our local schools, big brother, big sister. I think of those groups who've adopted teachers, some who've helped the teacher write a grant, some who've rebuilt closets and furniture, some who uh, helped this teacher who's got something else going on to serve her kids on Tuesdays and helping out with the families. I think about the many people in this church, like a couple who came up to me recently and said, Mark, we pray for you every day. You know how humbling that is? I said, please don't stop. Don't stop. I pray for this church every day. That's a huge, beautiful, good work that God's prepared in advance for us to do, to pray for each other. I think of my friends who have two little boys growing up with a single mom next door to them. They don't have a dad. You know, my friend has been just investing as like a surrogate grandpa to them. They invite him to school. He's like a father to them. It's beautiful. I think of the many in our church that foster kids. That there, there actually are people in our church who've taken in homeless families. They didn't just give them a check. They didn't just give them some money. They said, just come live with us for a while. They've taken in a single mom and her kids, several families, and on and on the list goes. This is God's plan for you and me to receive the grace of God and then to pass it on, to pass it on wherever he sends us to whoever we meet. And friends, that's what we're hoping happens through these initiatives. And so you look at the initiatives and whether it's the compassion initiatives or the sports ministry or the training initiatives or the new sites, 
the, the permanent site up at North Campus or this new, so excited about this new place on the north side. This is all about extending God's grace, his compassion, his mercy, and his love in space and time, Christ's hands and feet as a loving community. We believe these are some, not all, of the good works that he's calling us to be about in the days to come, and we are so excited. So you want to be rooted in Christ? Well, Ephesians 2 says, well, it starts by receiving the grace of God. Have you done that? Are you still trusting in yourself? You're good with Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something else. This is, this is the day. Don't put it off. If God is using his word to bring you to this place where you know what? I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Then place your faith. Receive the gift of God's grace. And then for those of us who have done that, let's not lose our way and go, okay, well, that was like the key. You needed the grace card to get in the door. Now that I'm in the door, I can't really work hard for Christ. It's like, no, it's grace from the beginning all the way to the end. And we got to go back. I've got to go back to his grace, his grace. What a wild thought that there isn't anything you and I could do that would cause God to separate off his love from us. There isn't anything we could do where God would say, now I love you even more. Really? I feel like there must be something, Lord. No, it's not like that. What a wild, wild thought. So you want to be rooted? It's grace. You want to go deeper? It's grace. It's faith. Taking God as word. There is no going deeper. There is no rootedness in our life apart from God's word. And so I think about the, the man in Psalm 1 who's like this tree planted by streams of water whose leaves don't wither. There's always fruit in season. Whatever he does, she does prospers. Why is that person bearing fruit? Ah, because he doesn't follow the advice of the, of the wicked counsel in the world out there, but he's a person who meditates on God's word day and night. It's the word that bears fruit. Jesus says, you remain in me, the vine. And, and if you remain in me, my word will remain in you and you'll bear much fruit. It's always related to the fruit. When, when, God, when Jesus tells the story of the sower, right? God's now a, a farmer and he's throwing seed. The only seed that grows, and the seed is the word of God. The, the only heart that bears fruit is the heart that hears the word, receives it with joy. They hold on to it and persevere in faith, believing this is God's good word for me. And what happens? 30, 60, 100 fold increase. So it's grace. It's getting into the word for this reason. So that the word gets into me. Here's what we say in our second value, the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. And so we're starting this uh, wonderful adventure of reading through the Bible, right? And I don't know if you've picked up one, but you can today or you can get it on the app. But get this reading program. So March 1st, we started. We're gonna read through the entire New Testament the rest of the year. And I'm pretty sure in 2017, we're gonna go through the whole Bible together. But get, get into the word, not so you can check it off. So you can be filled with the word. So be positioned to love God and love others well this week going forward. Being rooted not only begins with grace, not only goes deeper into God's word, 
but rooted means we need to invest. Here's the wild thing. God could save the world and work out his saving purposes through his son. Jesus could have come down. He could have died on the cross, rose from the dead and said, finished, done, heaven. He didn't. He left. And he gave us a responsibility. He gave us a responsibility that requires our life, all that we are and have, our time, our talents, our resources. So I want to encourage you to, to do that right now. So grab that card, all right? Grab the card. I got my card right here. All right. So let me just say this, first of all. These things are weird for some people. I don't know what it is. Because last I checked, a lot of us sign contracts to our mortgages, our rent, our car loans. But when the church does this, it's like it weirds us out. So I'll just acknowledge that. This is weird for some of us. Some of us are going, ah, ha, ha, huh. I'll give to Rudy, but I'm not putting it on a card, buddy. Or, you know, I've been there. You're in church and someone's asking you to do something. You go, I'm not doing that. I'm not pulling out the card. All right, so here, here's the deal. This card actually is for you. God doesn't need our money. And God's purposes in Door Creek are going to go on with or without you. This is for you. Here's what I can say. If God doesn't have our wallet, he doesn't have our heart, and we're not in a place where we think we are relative to being in Christ and rooted, it's a huge place to grow. And you know, you may say, well, I don't have a lot to give. It's not about a lot. It's about starting. For some of us, it's just starting. Last time we did this three years ago, 10% of people who filled out a, a commitment card Started giving for the first time. That was so cool. I'm hoping there's a lot more this time. This is for you to grow in an area that, that is all about what we're talking about. Giving is all about generosity, is all about grace. We've been given everything. Everything we have is from God, and it's to be given back to God as an expression of our love for God and an investment that others would know more about the love of God. So the first thing I want you to do is this. If you're committed to going deeper, and taking full ownership of your spiritual growth and filling out those pages in the brochure. And if you didn't get one, get one on the way out this morning. And you fill out that spiritual growth plan because you realize I've got to own it and I want to grow to be more like Christ. And I, I'm getting direction from God when I've asked him this question, Lord, where do you want me to grow in my life? Where do you want me to become more like Jesus Christ? Well, if you're going to be committed to that, the first thing I want you to do is can you put a star in the upper right-hand corner? Because I want to know about it. We want to connect with you in the days to come to encourage you in your spiritual growth plan. And then the second thing I'd say is start working through what it is. Now, some of you already prayed. You already got it. You brought the card. Some of the leaders have already done this. The leaders to this point have given just short of a million, $980,000. It's still coming in. So you figure out what your part is. You're here married? You haven't talked about it? Don't put a number down today. That'd be like a really bad idea. It took Lori and I... A lot of time to think through this, to pray through this, to look at our budget. And here's what we've been challenging ourselves as leaders. Get to this place where it's a stretch. You want to grow your faith? Stretch it. This is a great area. It's not the only area. It's a great area to do that. So you fill it out, fold it in half. The team's going to come back up. And sometime early in the song, 
we will be collecting those. So let me leave you with a word of encouragement. And it comes from an email I received this week. I wanted to share how God showed up this week for my family. Last week, God decided I should commit 10% of my at-home business earnings for Rooted. We have three little ones at home, and my husband and I work hard to keep up with the bills. I started a business to earn income to help us financially, and we're trying to work our way out of debt using Dave Ramsey's principles. Giving in general, even presence, has been difficult for me as an adult. Our finances and lack thereof are always the first thing that comes to mind. I'm being challenged in that area. Anyway, after committing in prayer last Sunday to give of my personal earnings, God has shown up already this week. My husband got a pay raise. I got five jobs lined up for April and May and another in September. I haven't even made my tithe, and I can see that God is saying, maybe he's saying this to you. I know he is. Trust me. You can give. I'll help you stick to your budget and still keep your debt snowball rolling. Praise God for teaching me to trust and give. Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father God, may your grace flow, flow in this place, flow in our hearts not the concept, the person, your son. Lord Jesus, may we make much of you in our lives, much of you in this place to our children and our students and our adults. To everybody who comes here, may they meet Jesus. May they know that he's everything, that he's all beauty. He's all that we need. Lord, would you grant faith to those who don't know you to receive your grace? Would you grow? Would you grow us, Lord, in grace? or as we go into your word, that we might live out your word and be more and more like your son in this world, loving you, loving our neighbor, until you come or call us home. And Lord, these cards, these commitments that are coming today and in the days to come, Lord, they represent our desire to love you with our whole heart and to walk with you in this world and to do good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.